You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Please be seated. We have a great show for you today. Um, it is a very somber flag day today as um, we're, we're very mindful of the shooting that happened in Alexandria earlier today in which four um, people were shot, including a member of Congress and a lobbyist and, and two Capitol um, Hill police or two Alexandria police. And so um, our prayers go out to them and, and hopefully everyone is able to come through. Um, but our show today is uh, focused on... I guess another kind of violence uh, and a kind of violence of social media. And uh, we have with us Michelle Ferrier, who is the founder of Trollbusters. And if you're not familiar with it, it we're going to go through how it came about. Um, but it was born at the International Women's Media Foundation Hackathon and has won a prize from Google's International Women's Media Fund. Um, got $3,000 and been funded by the Knight Prototype Fund. And, uh, and Columbia Journalism Review has hailed it as an invaluable service. And so without further ado, um, Michelle is uh, the president of Journalism That Matters and an associate professor at Ohio University Scripps College of Communications. Michelle, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Thanks for having me, Bennett. Thank you. I was very intrigued when I first read about your the outfit and Trollbusters. And I guess, you know, it, in order to explain Trollbusters, I guess we should talk about how you came um, to decide that something like this was needed. And I, mean, I guess that would start with your experience working in, in Daytona Beach. Sure. So um, Trollbusters really um, is probably have been about 12 years in the making. Um, it started with um, my own experiences as an African-American columnist at the Daytona Beach News Journal. And I started working there as, as a columnist and was the first African-American columnist at that newspaper and almost immediately started receiving hate mail. Um, and you have to kind of understand that the columns that I wrote were lifestyle columns that were things about raising my kids in, in Florida and what that was like and just our lives as as a family for the most part. And so, so it wasn't it wasn't like the hot button issues that we're so inflamed about today. It was, it was, actually, it was just everyday life. This was more everyday slice of life stories. Uh, occasionally there would be a news peg. Um, the very first column that I wrote was about um, the shuttle explosion and the, and the impact on my children and family. And sometimes I might hit on it, a news peg, but most of the time they really were more slice of life types of columns, Bennett. Um, not anything that you would see on the op-ed page on a weekly basis. This was in our lifestyle section. 
Um, and so I wrote that column for a while, but started receiving letters from one particular letter writer. So at the time, um, at, at the time we put our email addresses on our, our bylines for our reporters, but they weren't as visible on social media um, and using social media to the extent that they are now. And so I'd get emails and physical letters and, and some work, but not necessarily on social media. Um, and those letters came to me over a period of time where they were increasingly violent and um, came after me, particularly because of my race um, and um, implicated uh, implicated um, in a lot of ways that um, that I was the cause of problems for a lot of white people in America, and therefore I was somebody that should not be in the newspaper. And so those letters came for a series of time where I finally, after the second or third letter, went to the local police um, and asked them for support in uh, looking into the case. And what did they say? Um, it really, <laughs> this is where I got into the, the murky waters of uh, harassment claims and understanding that uh, the legal environment and law enforcement in particular are, are unprepared for the social environment and understanding the ways in which um, the online environment in fact impacts uh, the work of journalists and, and people in physical space. And so when I went to them to ask for their support, they really, um, on the mail front, on the mail issue, um, really didn't feel and were dismissive uh, that this would result in any kind of physical harm and that I should basically ignore um, the letters that I was receiving. So um, after a while, and as the letters continued to increase, towards uh, towards the end of my time at the paper, I did get the police to occasionally uh, patrol my home and patrol my neighborhood after the letters came. But beyond that and actually finding someone, um, we never did resolve the case itself. And I finally left my job at the newspaper. And so you never, were never able to identify who the perpetrator was? No, I, I, um, I attempted to work with the police, the FBI, uh, the CIA and other agencies. We never were able to identify um, whether there was an actual who or who the actual perpetrator was. I see. Now, um, in leaving the space, in leaving Daytona, was there any, um, did they try to discourage you or did, how did that, how'd that go down? Well, at the, I'd been at the newspaper and I'd been writing a column for over five years or so. And for, for three of those years, at least, I was receiving letters from this particular person. So they would come every couple of months. Um, I think what made this disturbing and parallels what we see online is uh, that this was not a one-off attack and somebody critiquing my writing or something like right. that. This really was an attack on my identity and on the platform that I had as a journalist to be able to speak and talk about issues. And so um, I really found that from the police to professional organizations and others, people really were not talking about these issues. If if a columnist was being attacked, they'd either quietly leave the, the newsroom and the newspaper to do something else. But no one was really tracking this issue or understanding what the life uh, of journalists of color was like here in the United States. Now, you were active in the, the Black Journalists Association and... Were you seeing this? Were your colleagues going through similar experiences? Um, I would reach out, and I did talk to several professionals who were columnists of color at the time, etc., and they experienced similar kinds of hate mail. Um, this is a tactic that I think has been used for a very, very long time um, to drive out diverse voices in our media. And so, yes, people had received this, and so there were ongoing um, issues with uh, this kind of harassment happening. However, um, I think there was also a professional culture on the journalism side um, that said, if you're receiving these kinds of letters, you must be doing the right thing. 
Um, there was also that you must be irritating the right people in order to get these kinds of critiques and no publicity is bad publicity. Right. So really, um, a management as well as the professional organizations were somewhat dismissive and really did not have the professional avenues or the conversations at our professional conferences about how, how as individuals and as organizations, we should be handling this type of behavior. Now, as an organization, I can see a newspaper being conflicted. On one hand, uh, the newspaper, you know, raison d'etre, is the First Amendment. Right. And, and so respecting someone's First Amendment to express their views, however, you know, heinous, is, is kind of one, I guess, value. But in these type of cases, when you have something like this, um, or as you see more aggressively today on social media, it, it's, it is a desire to silence. It, it is a desire to drown out another voice. And so in many ways, it's the antithesis of the First Amendment. Exactly. Exactly. And as you said, the newspapers themselves are conflicted about how to handle this, not only because of the First Amendment, but because I think for a very long time, um, they considered, as many other people did, the online environment doesn't affect what happens offline. And I think we've very clearly um, come to the point, at least in the U.S., of understanding that online activity very clearly can impact um, people's lived experience and impact their lives in very direct ways. And we're not talking about – I think the other thing to understand is that, one, we're not just talking about critiques. Um, there are different levels of of harassment up to and including threats, both right. implicit and explicit. You know, somebody saying, I'm going to come kill you, um, I think is something that anyone should take seriously if very, you find yeah, it in their social yeah. media feed. Um, and so the dismissiveness that, that I think journalists brought to their work was a little bit naive okay. in thinking that this kind of online activity doesn't have ramifications, not only in physical space, but on the work of journalists themselves. Um, I've talked to uh, women journalists and other journalists who have have clearly shown that they have self-censored themselves um, in the wake of this kind of activity, definitely impacting the news enterprise. And so there's not just an individual effect emotionally, financially of this kind of behavior, but also an effect on the journalists themselves to be able to do their work. And so by being dismissive of it, we've pretty much ignored the growth of this activity to a point where we have reached a tipping point. Um, and it's very much a top of mind of many professional organizations and uh, in, in the legal realm as well. You know, just two, two quick points. And on, on your first point, you know, the conclusion that somehow what happens in the offline, in the online world is, is self-contained and it's just that you know, nothing, it has no effect on your real life, it is actually um, quantitative, quantitatively wrong. You know, the, the Justice Department did a survey on stalking mm-hmm. and found that in um, 25% of the cases, you know, off, online stalking led to offline behavior. And um, so um, yeah, that that's that's just a matter of fact. Right. So, um, but we're going to have to take a, a short break, um, and then we come back. We'll talk more about this very important topic and the emergence of Trollbusters after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites like ours require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjorge, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjorgeDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E-Digital.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. 
TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. TopSEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let TopSEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back with talking to Michelle Ferrier, founder of Trollbusters. And on the point we were talking about before, somehow law enforcement thinking online and offline is separate. I had a client who came from, a, an, I guess, a, a less well financially endowed community um, in, in Southern California. And uh, they had somewhat limited resources. And uh, she was being you know, stalked online and have, being harassed. And the law enforcement told her, we, we don't do online. And she said to me, what should I do? And I said, you know, vote with your feet, move. I mean, if they're not going to protect you, uh, then you should go someplace that will. And uh, so it's an important point. So, mm-hmm. you, so you leave um, Daytona Beach. Right. So, the, yeah. you know, the, I received my last letter. Um, as I indicated, it, it really had reached the level of, to me, a point where I needed to move myself and my family. So we literally physically left my job, moved out of the state. Um, in order to uh, avoid the the violence that was uh, being being suggested in in the letters that I'd received, so you have to kind of understand. In between now and then, I never forgot the issue. In fact, um, I tried to initiate a couple of efforts in between there to map what I saw happening in the rise of white supremacist groups and the use of this kind of tactic to shut down diverse voices. And so, um, was looking at um, and mapping uh, hate crime activities and other things to see uh, whether there was some correlation between the kinds of, of rhetoric being directed towards people of color in a particular geography and the activity of these hate groups. Um, but I abandoned that project after a couple of years um, and uh, didn't come back to it really until um, Trollbusters was born about two years ago. And uh, that came up at the hackathon that you mentioned um, at the top of the hour. And that hackathon really was... Uh, um, coming at the time right after uh, Gamergate and um, also on the heels of ex- some experimentation that Facebook was doing on people's so, feeds. Let me interrupt you briefly for, just for those who aren't familiar with what a hackathon is. Sure. Let's tell you a little bit about what a hackathon is. And so um, basically it's an opportunity to experiment where a sponsor or a sponsoring organization will pose a problem. In this sense, the International Women's Media Foundation wanted us to imagine solutions for women news publishers. Um, the summit was to look at how we could bolster the voices of women in the media um, using entrepreneurship and using entrepreneurship. And so the hackathon was to focus on what are some of the ways in which we can solve the problems and barriers to women news entrepreneurs. And one of those barriers is online harassment, whether it's the DDoS attacks or whether it's the kind of um, email and social media kinds of threats that we deal with. Um, the the attacks on women publishers as well as women writers is real. And so that really spawned uh, the development of Trollbusters at that hackathon. 
So explain how Trollbusters works. Sure. So um, I mentioned uh, that the project was really based on some of what Facebook was doing. Um, right about six months before the hackathon, Facebook was experimenting in their social media feeds, and they were tweaking the algorithms to feed certain users more negative content and other users more positive content. And their goal was to be able to determine what kind of response that people had based on the kinds of status updates they were receiving. And so um, unbeknownst to those of us that were being experimented on, <laughs> um, my feed in particular, um, even though I do consort with a lot of journalists who tend to tend to the negative side of things, um, I think um, my feed became really, really negative and dark. And I commented on that with a lot of my friends. And at the time, no one knew what was going on. And it was only disclosed later that Facebook had been uh, manipulating people's feeds. Um but from that from that experiment, um, as flawed as it was, um, we found out that people do respond emotionally to the feeds that they receive. And if they receive negative content, they'll either post more negative things or avoid that content particularly. And if they're receiving more pos- positive content or kudos, they'll stay online and engage with more positive content. And so Trollbusters really uh, looked at that research and said, well, what if we were to um, how can we support women journalists to stay online? One, when this kind of activity is happening, it's new, it's daunting, they don't know what to do. And how can they continue to stay online and persist in the activities of being a journalist or a publisher? And what can we do to support them? So when women journalists come to trollbusters.com, what we do is um, we take that report and we try and support them to stay online um, in the moment. That includes um, sending them positive reinforcement and letting them know that somebody's online and on their Twitter stream. So who um, does that? Is that uh, the Trollbusters or Trollbusters team? So yeah. our Trollbusters team will reach out to the person, let them know that we're here and available, the kinds of services that we offer, which include um, pretty much squatting on their on their uh, social media feed, um, monitoring the activity of trolls letting people know that we we exist there and that we're watching. Um, we also populate that feed with educational materials to help both the, the user who's experiencing the harassment as well as other people in their feed be aware of what's happening and be able to report it and know what the next steps should be. So we really do try and direct the user to the technical support they need, the legal support they need, as well as help moderate their feeds so that we can minimize the activity really that's happening in those social media streams. Can you give an example maybe of how you responded to a particular attack? Sure. So, um, so women are being attacked um, on all different kinds of levels. And as we said, part of the challenge of dealing with this issue is understanding the kinds of threats that you're experiencing and how you might respond as an individual, how management might be, respond if you are working as part of a larger media organization, or who you might go to if you're a freelancer or need specific technical help. So when somebody contacts us, um, we uh, communicate with them to find out how what, how and what kind of support they need from us, which may be everything from uh, sending positive messages into their Twitter stream and letting them know that somebody's there watching, um, which is a big uh, emotional um, baggage that, that women carry. They feel like they're doing this work on their own, that nobody's watching, mm-hmm. uh, that they're being overly sensitive. And so by having somebody else watching their feed, kind of having their back, that support lets them know that we'll step in if if something gets out of hand or help direct them to how they should handle um, the threats that are coming at them. Um, so we'll send positive messages. We also send uh, materials. Uh, we've developed two campaigns. One is an online protection campaign that helps educate journalists about what they should do to lock down their identity or to respond to each of the different kinds of threats um, and basically clean up their online identity in a way that we can minimize the offline damage that can happen as a result of this work. And then more recently, we've created 
um, a flow chart that helps people assess the kinds of threats that they're experiencing and then how they may want to respond as individuals, how they may want to respond with their managers um, and the social media teams at the organizations that they work with, or as a freelancer, how they might push back and ask for some support uh, from the entities themselves to step in and uh, cover that social media stream for a period of time. Now, do you ever confront the, the troll? So we do not uh, adapt, address the troll directly. Um, one of the things that we try and do is um, really not feed into the troll's desire to be seen and heard, which is the, one of the primary motivations of these types of groups and individuals that are doing this kind of work. So their goal is to silence and in the activity that we've seen, it's not only silence, but isolate these women and these targets, um, making them ashamed to speak up for themselves, making them ashamed to um, to report this to management or to go to the police um, and diminishing and discrediting the work that they do. And so what we try and do is work with the target directly to address the identity and reputation issues that, that occur as a result of these kinds of attacks to minimize the attacks themselves um, by monitoring the stream. And even the monitoring itself can can have an effect on the severity of the types of attacks that we see. So when we show that we've got support and that we're operating in a stream, um, some of the trolls will, will back down on their efforts because they don't know the extent that we're going to report um, them to other authorities. And we do take that step um, at, on occasion, but we do monitor and capture what's happening in that feed and we'll work with the target as, as necessary to work with law enforcement and others. Now, the response has been quite favorable. The uh, Columbia, as we mentioned at the top of the show, Columbia Journalism Review says it's an invaluable service. And uh, what has been some of the other feedback you received? Well, we um, really have been looking at uh, a couple of things. And as we've talked about the challenges at the, at the top of the hour of really prosecuting this kind of work, there's issues of, of the laws in the U.S. and, and the kinds of threats um, that we're seeing that really are implicit threats that don't rise up to the level of the law. So there's challenges in being able to, to get the legal prosecution or even the investigation done uh, with law enforcement in order to, to really seek redress on that side of things. And so what we really try and do is focus on what can we do to support the target so that they can continue operating as journalists and so that the activity doesn't bleed into their offline life um, with any attacks on their person or their family or other places that can damage them. So we've we've been able to um, take this work internationally and work with the United Nations, UNESCO in particular, um, looking at um, and at and with global partners and putting pressure on platforms, uh, Twitter and Facebook, um, to treat. Um, this harassment with a much more serious lens and to um, really help support journalists in being able to use these tools as part of their work environment. Because ultimately, the social media is required as part of the work of journalists in today's digital world. And it's not as if we can just step away from the computer um, and these online spaces and abdicate that as a part of our work. And... Um you talk about working internationally. This is a, an era where journalists, in general, not in, in not women and women mm -hmm. journalists as well, uh, have been under siege. I mean, the number of journalists being attacked, arrested, um, killed is really been increased. And as we've we've seen, even in our close to home in Mexico. Right. I think um, one of the things that has has really remained behind the scenes, the types of things that we've seen internationally um, that are reported by the Committee to Protect Journalists that tracks this kind of activity internationally, um, is that uh, journalists have always been in danger. And we in the U.S. have typically um, had the comfort of having uh, the free press protected in our Constitution, unlike in other, other countries. Um, I think 
the illusion of protection has has been, been ripped from anyone's eyes over the past year as we've looked at not only um, the kinds of cyber attacks against our um, election processes, but also the misinformation and cyber attacks on individual journalists. Um, as well as from our our, our president in chief, um, who has uh, has made the environment for journalism very dangerous and tenuous here in the U.S. And so, unfortunately, we're seeing and and experiencing the kinds of behaviors that we traditionally would have attributed only to journalists working internationally um, um, from the U.S. or international journalists working in their own countries under repressive regimes. Now it. In, in here in the U.S., the women in particular have been targeted, and you mentioned Gamergate, and uh, Amanda, Amanda Haas wrote a kind of a breakthrough cover story for Pacific Standard a few few years ago. Why how why women aren't welcome on the internet? Mm-hmm. And uh, can you talk a little bit about why, why women in particular are targeted? I, I, it's not just women; it's actually women and people of color. Um, and I think that the issues that we're seeing in the online spaces are similar to the kinds of misogyny and uh, patriarchy that we see outside of, of the Internet. And so what we're seeing are the same kinds of, of sociological clashes um, of gender, of race, um, manifesting online that we see happening offline. And so what we're seeing isn't new, and it's not new behaviors. Um, as I mentioned, my story happened with traditional mail, where mail would come. We talk about Ida B. Wells in the beginning of, of, of journalism here in the U.S. and the work that she did as a, as a pioneering African-American journalist. Threats against journalists, particularly women and journalists of color, are nothing new. Um, the speed at which they're happening in the online environment and the ways and ripple effects of the online environment is what makes and distinguishes this period as much more um, a dangerous one than in the past. And we actually did a show uh, for for listeners. We did a show last June um, with Kristen Brown, who's with Fusion Media, and uh, she has written a number of pieces on dealing with trolls. And so we had a piece on online trolls and combating them with her. And I don't know if you've even encountered her in your work, um, but she's been written a number of interesting pieces on the topic. So. Um, Trollbusters is, 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 target, is a is a resource for women journalists. Mm-hmm. Brilliant idea, and, and I was thrilled to see it. Is is anyone, or are you guys considering breaking out and and, and broadening the scope of the protection that you guys offer? Mm-hmm. Well, we always, um, we've been operating, as you can see, in a fairly uh, bootstrapped budget and started obviously with women um, and women journalists because of my own identity, but um, have since expanded to focus as well on, on journalists of color. Um, and doing some active monitoring of, of journalists' feeds um, to proactively look at how we might be able to address this issue. So um, on a case-by-case basis, I have expanded a little bit of the work that we do, but because of, of resources and the, the growth and how we've been able to do this, um, we really have uh, tried to focus on that core area. Because frankly, if we can solve that, for women and people of color, then we can solve it for everyone. Right. Um, <laughs> and it almost could be, I mean, obviously you're doing it as, as a, I'm assuming a not-for-profit service. Yes. And, but it almost could be a business model. You know, if you're someone who has a, a social media presence, um, you know, it's almost like, yes. not, to, not, not to compare it to the mafia, but it's almost like you are paying for protection. But, right. But in a positive way. Yes, and that's exactly, I think, one of the things. And as as we developed and from our very first, we've attempted to not profit from people's pain. And right. in fact, that is what Twitter and Facebook and other platforms do by abdicating the space and letting free speech be the cloak under which they hide all of this activity. Um, and so I think there's a real danger in, in, in kind of taking that hands-off approach as, as they've done. Um, but ultimately, I think moving forward, um, we will have to find solutions for everyone. And the work that we're doing um, really is addressing the hardest issue. Um, and as I said, I think if we can solve for that, um, then uh, the rest will be taken care of um, as a result of that. 
Do you think Twitter? Do we rephrase the question? Do you think um, journalists and and similar people who have a high social media presence would actually pay to um, pay a, a small monthly fee for a, for a Twitter or a Twitter like platform where they actually uh, regulated and and did something about trolls? I, I think that's a, a challenging question for a couple of reasons, because there's business models and platforms and other things built into that. And right. so, right. So it so because journalism and, and the media kind of abdicated that social media space to uh, to ISPs and Internet service providers and others. Um, I don't think we can recover that back. So I don't think we can create a separate platform where we distribute our content that we pay for and others pay for that would avoid the troll issue. Um, In fact, I don't think you, I don't think you can, you can, you can technologically build for the kind of behaviors that are going to continue to manifest, I guess is my question. Okay. (laughs) I I was wondering if Twitter offered a, a paid service. Um, or if a competitor of Twitter say, "Hey, come to us. We'll actually regulate the trolls," you know, but you just have to pay a small monthly, a small monthly fee, a dollar a month or whatever it is, figuring the you know, volumes, everything. Um, I think the what, challenge would be getting the, the 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 general population to make that leap. I don't think any journalist would say, "Okay, no, I'm not going to pay twelve dollars a year or whatever right. to be uh, on a platform." It only has it ten people. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't preclude the the trolls from paying that money and also That's, being over there. Um, and again, then that ISP would get into the situation of having to, to moderate that space and who gets to be in that space. And you get into that move from verified accounts that Facebook made to where, you know, you delete the purpose if everybody can be verified. So yes, potentially. And, and I still think it's problematic. And I still think that the the platforms themselves, Twitter and Facebook, uh, must take some responsibility for their their platforms. Have you had have they said had any interactions with them? Have they said anything about you know? Yes, this is a it's a huge issue, and so I'm, and as you said, it's not just journalists, politicians, other people who have high high profile online presences are also under attack. Um, we're we're seeing huge uh, K through twelve and cyberbullying happening on the other end of the age spectrum, and so this is an issue for all platforms. Uh, these two, um, in particular, Twitter happens to be the most egregious because of how it's structured and the ways in which um, uh, tr- troll tribes smart mobs of trolls can engage a, a particular user and target a particular user and create a feeding frenzy that is unlike the speed and frenzy of what can happen on other platforms. And so Twitter by design um, has some built-in biases that make it a, a fertile ground for this kind of activity and for the kinds of virulent attacks that we've seen against uh, journalists and others. Well, I, I agree with that, um, but we have a duty to create a frenzy for the fine products and services of our sponsors. <laughs> so we're, we're going to take a short break. We come back, we'll have more on Trollbusters after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. How much are your best ideas worth? PriorThings.com gives you an added layer of protection for all of your intellectual property, ideas, and creative things. New business idea, pitch deck, PowerPoint presentation, song lyrics, source code, killer blog posts. We help you protect it all. How do we do it? We use the same technology platform that secures transactions for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Learn more at PriorThings.com. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry Radio listeners by going to bit.ly slash Founders Circle. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contests and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. 
Content for your ears and everything in between. Cranberry.fm The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And women journalists and uh, and addressing the, the issue of trolls and the, the general problem of people trying to suppress or silence or I think the, the phrase sometimes you hear is the, the loudest idiot in the room um, having the veto effect over everyone else because of the way they're able to just drown them out through um, their various tweets and Facebook posts and whatever. Um, so the, we were talking earlier just about how it Trollbusters has been well received, being praised by journalist groups like Columbia Journalism Review. And uh, I was wondering if there were any particular success stories you wanted to highlight. Well, I think one of the things that um, has been great and, and we've gotten some huge response from is the infographic chart of threats that I mentioned earlier to you, Bennett. Um, one of the things that we found was that people didn't have the language to be able to describe what was happening to them and didn't understand it. And so what the work that we've been doing around education and awareness, both with student journalists as well as with professional journalists, has been really key in helping them understand how to operate as journalists in the space and then what to do and how to how they might respond if they're seeing some kind of threat. So that infographic, we um, started deploying that online at the end of January, beginning of February, and have since been able to take it to several international conferences. And that work, uh, colleagues um, across the country and around the world have been interested in translating that infographic into multiple languages so that it can be used um, by journalists in other countries. So I I would point to some of that as really um, doing the hard work of of educating and helping people be in action around this issue, Bennett. Now, uh, we, as usual, we have our show notes, which are available at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And we, we posted some of those info, infographics as you know samples uh, so people can see it. And you're right. I think you've done a brilliant job with those infographics, you know, on doxing. Um, what does it mean when someone's attacking your website? Um, and various other issues, you know, e-personation. And I just give you great credit. I think you've done a great job there. And that's a very valuable service. Well, well, thank you. As I said, I think um, what we've been able to find and, and see from from the conferences that we've been to, and these have been digital security experts to people who are, are journalists working internationally, as well as politicians who are working at the European Commission and in other places to really push back against these, these U.S.-based platforms to really do something in this space. And one of the key things that keeps coming up is that we really don't have um, really good language to describe what's happening, um, that management and others have not had the really important conversations about how to protect their talent, whether it's broadcast or print or in other different online spaces, really how to protect their talent. And I think the growing realization, Bennett, that for media organizations, the online environment is the workplace environment. It is, yes. And that it is not something separate. And in fact, they, um, perhaps not in this country yet, but I think will be held liable in the future for ensuring that their talent is protected both in online and on offline spaces. Now, uh, what has been the reaction of policymakers here to what your work? Well, I think policymakers here in the U.S., I believe there's still some work on um making sure that law enforcement are educated on and understand the online environment, particularly for journalists, um, and that it is a requirement of, of our jobs and our work to be online. And so we need that protection extended in that space as well. Um, and we need them to take this seriously. So um, there is legislation um, that is focusing on providing that kind of education to law enforcement. Frankly, I think what we're seeing now on the journalism side is some realization of the of the seriousness of, of the environment that we're working in as journalists. And so more and more we're seeing um, professional 
conferences for journalists taking up this issue as panel conversations, etc. And hopefully um, I'm doing more work with journalism organizations themselves um, to help management understand how they can how they can support their talent better. And and don't stop at law enforcement. You you have to educate the judges as well. <laughs> I, I I've actually had a judge pull me aside and say, um, you know, I don't do internet stuff. Right. So what does this I, mean? I'm gonna I'm just gonna transfer your case, and um, and I had another judge that says, you know, I don't want to I don't want to have to try to figure this stuff out. So what if I don't admit your evidence? What happens to your case? Right. And 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 so it's. You know, it's basically because I'm more or less lazy or just don't want to adapt. Um, your clients, whatever they're going through, is, is relevant. I, I think that really is 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 ultimately the challenge that we face with this issue, Bennett, is that one, because of the anonymity of the platforms themselves or the ways in which these operatives, and I use the word operatives because these aren't just the casual trolls. Yes, there's the one-off person who has it in for a particular journalist or an axe to grind in some case. But what I'm describing and the kinds of activities that we're seeing are these smart mobs where this is concerted efforts by groups, whether they be Russian hackers or other government operatives or whether it's white supremacist groups or others that are using this as a tactic to create fear and intimidation and silence peaceful's voices. And we cannot wait for the law and law enforcement and, and judges to catch up. And so really where I've tried to focus is what can we do right now to be able to support people to stay online and continue to have the strong voice against um, speaking truth to power um, as journalists and in the spaces and they operate in. And, um, so you was talking about conferences. Are there any conferences in particular you be speaking at you want to highlight? Um, well, actually, um, there's some work at the National Association of Black Journalists um, this summer in August. Uh, we'll in New Orleans. Panel. New Orleans, there'll be a panel there that will focus um, on uh, journalism and and this space of online harassment. Um, I continue to work with the platforms directly, so Facebook as well as Twitter, um, as well as some of the news agencies to look at how we can deal with this issue as, as international partners and what's the kind of research that we need as well as evidence to provide to law enforcement as well as to the platforms to have them understand really the gravity of the situation and that, that this inaction is really leading to some serious consequences for individuals and for the work that we do as journalists. Now, you're a journalist professor in, in Ohio University and students looking at you, you're, you're smart, you're, you're a successful journalist and you and, and other successfully accomplished journalists are going through, you know, had to experience these things. What effect does it have on the students? Is it like, well, hmm, being a Collins look, looks a lot more attractive these right. days? Right. I think it definitely should put a, a question into students' minds about who they are and who they want to be. Um, and if they're serious about practicing journalism in today's age, I think we are doing a disservice to our students by not educating them on the kinds of environments in which they're working in. That's that's true. I think now, it's, it, it, it would be a more criminal for us not to address this issue and let them make the good choices for themselves up to and including how they present themselves online using their full name how they uh, represent themselves. And there are other options, but if we if we don't educate them and allow students to make those choices for themselves, then I think we, we are doing damage to them. Now, how is, is Trollbusters supported through grants or con individual contributions? Like if, if people want to support your, your cause, how much should they do? So right now we uh, are primarily self-starters. Um, at the right this time, we're looking at some grant opportunities to be able to continue the work that we're doing. Uh, we would love support, and so if people would like to communicate with us at report at troll-busters.com or reach out to us through www.troll-busters.com. We'd love to talk with them about supporting us, and uh, maybe we'll take some donations in the near future. Um, but I think right now we've been dancing as fast as we can to really help support journalists, especially um, after the election. And so um, 
growing our work and being able to do more of it. That's really what those donations would help to support us and being able to expand our work to other groups. Well, so thank would, you for that. <laughs> it would be a worthy cause. And, and I tell you, since you know, last week we did a show on uh, Uber and the, the many crises there. And look what happened because of that show. You know, yes, just yesterday, the CEO announced that he's going to take a leave of absence. So clearly, this show has enormous amount of power, and you would you'd be surprised what the response will be. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I will take that into, into consideration, Bennett, and uh, hope that people will reach out if they're interested in supporting us. Um, and whether that's with with money or with talent, um, we're always looking for people who are willing to support people who are are undergoing this kind of online harassment because it does take an emotional emotional and financial toll and we really would love that kind of support as well well i want to thank you i i really and when i first saw your organization i thought wow i mean this is this is something the internet's been waiting for yeah. and we're, we're really glad to have you on and, and i just commend you for your work and just to, to give you a little early warning uh we do a, a year-end issue uh um, heroes and zeros and and clearly i think you you would fall into the the, the former, not the latter, <laughs> and, and and so. Uh, but I wanted to just thank you for taking the time to to be here. And if, if people want to reach you or find out more about Trollbusters, where should they go? Sure. So thanks, Bennett. Uh, they should go to www.troll-busters.com. Um, or they can email us at report at troll-busters.com and uh, we'll get back to you with whatever information or telephone call or whatever else we need to help support you. Thank you. And I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, the many fine people I get to meet and uh, talk with uh, Monday at the Stanford um, Best E-Commerce Best Practices Conference, the 14th one annual version. And uh, we had a great panel. And I want to thank everyone for that. And as usual, um, check out the Internet Law Center. We're at internetlawcenter.net and on Twitter at Internet Law Cent. And um, you know, always we are a full service firm in the Internet Law, but we help a lot of victims of harassment as well. So um, in addition, um, if you want to get in touch with Michelle, um, why don't you tell us what your Twitter handle is? Sure. So on Twitter, we operate at Your SOS Team your SOS team. And so if you respond to us there as well, we'll reach out and connect with you on Twitter. It's funny when you look at handles and you wonder what the, I was reading that. I was like, wow, you're so steam. (laughs) I know. And it's a challenge with URLs as well as we know. So trying to get something that would work, but we really are there to have people's backs. And we think that that name supports that. Well, thanks again. And if you, I, I, Again, there's information on, on Michelle and Trollbusters at, at our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And check us out on Twitter at Radio. Michelle, thanks again. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about you in December. Uh, everyone, be sure to check this organization out. It's a very worthy organization. And um, we'll join us next week. And um, so have a happy Flag Day. This is Bennett Kelly from Cyberlaw and Business Report signing off from Silicon Beach. Thanks again. See you next week. Bye, The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.